Hey everyone, and welcome back to the BME Grad Podcast. I'm Allie, my co-host is Brian, and before we get into today's content, I want to make a note. You may have seen that we skipped an episode two weeks ago when we were supposed to post, and that's because Brian and I have both just switched jobs, and we're making sure we give those transitions 100% of our focus. We'll talk more about those new roles in an upcoming episode, but we're really glad to be back on our normal schedule. I also want to announce that we have started uploading full episodes for season two to YouTube, which we're really excited about. Previously, we were only uploading video shorts, but now we're uploading full episodes for previous season two episodes, so you can subscribe to our YouTube channel for those. I'm very much a visual learner, so I'm glad we'll be able to offer our content in that format as well. Um, okay, so th with those announcements out of the way, for this episode, we have a continuation of the mini-series with the MedTech Innovation and Entrepreneurship Master's Program at UNC and NC State, and this is the last episode in the four-episode mini-series. It's been so great to partner with this team and get to know their program, and we hope you as a listener have either enjoyed considering a biomedical engineering master's program and, and learning more about what that's like, or getting to know the MedTech Innovation and Entrepreneurship Program itself more intimately. So for this final episode in the miniseries, we're talking with three instructors in the program, Kelly Umstead, Matt Penny, who we also spoke with in the first episode of the miniseries, and Nick Jardine. These instructors each teach a core class in the curriculum. The first we'll review is needs discovery. So utilizing clinical immersion to identify medical device and other healthcare opportunities. The second we'll review is design and innovation, which teaches iterative innovation processes focused on medical device and pharmaceutical development. And the third we'll review is product development, which covers project management for new biomedical related products, from assessing various streams of funding to allocation of resources for rapid prototyping and scale up manufacturing. Please enjoy this discussion with the MedTech instructors, Kelly, Matt, and Nick. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. So this is another episode of our mini series with the BME master's program at UNC at NC State. Uh, we have three guests today. Uh, they'll each be going over uh, their area of expertise in the in the program uh, as instructors, um, as well as um, this uh, area of focus that they'll, they'll go into. But um, there's probably a familiar face here, Matt, you know, we, we had him in a previous one to introduce the um, curriculum. So welcome back. And uh, with that, I'd like to actually hand it off to introductions. Um, maybe since we've seen Matt already, um, you can give a quick one um, and then go over what you're um, doing with the area too. Yeah, thanks for that, Brian. Uh, and nice to see you again, Ali and Brian. Um, so I am the Associate Director of the uh, Masters of Biomedical Engineering program at uh, NC State and UNC. Uh, our program is specifically titled uh, MedTech Innovation and Entrepreneurship. And as a part of that, I uh, primarily lead the design and innovation uh, aspects of that program, which comes in the middle, uh, kind of after the, the needs discovery and before product development. And uh, what I find interesting about that is it's structured very similarly to how I've seen uh, industry companies structure their um, uh, new product development uh, uh, programs where you know, needs discovery comes first, and then you have to do some design. And then ultimately, it gets handed off to, uh, to product development teams. Hi, thanks for having us on. Um, so my name is Nick Jardine. I'm an adjunct lecturer uh, in the program, uh, teaching the product development uh, section. So I've been involved with medical device for a little over 15 years, 
uh, primarily with startups, but currently uh, also serve as Associate Director for Device Innovation at Beckton Dickinson. So um, really look forward to discussing the curriculum with you. Awesome. Thank you. Hi. Thank you, Brian and Allie, for having us. Uh, my name is Kelly Umstead. I am an assistant professor of industrial design at NC State. Oh, act actually, I'm on, I'll be an associate professor of industrial design in August, officially. Awesome. Um, and I'm an adjunct faculty member in the department, the Joint Department of Biomedical Engineering. And so in the program, I teach the needs discovery portion. As you know, the program is structured into three segments, needs discovery, um, design and innovation and product development. So I'm the first stop on the three, on the three uh, sequence of courses, on the sequence of three courses. Um, so in the summertime, I have the cohort come in and we just do go through this process of total immersion, total clinical immersion into the, the space. Um, because the goal of our class is to find a problem that's worth solving or um, find a, an unmet medical need that you know needs a solution. And so we start out by just spending time in the clinic and listening to people and observing people and see what needs arise. And what clinic are you in right now? Or are you in multiple? Yeah, so we partner with UNC Rex and they're a, a great partner for us to have and have been very supportive. And we really, you know, couldn't do the things we do without them. Um, so we partner with them and that's our sort of initiation point for the course where we go in, we tour the facilities and we have initial conversations with their physicians. We also partner with other clinicians and healthcare providers um, throughout the state, you know, all, all are welcome. All problems are welcome. All providers are welcome. <laughs> we, um, uh, so, you know, Historically, we've worked with UNC Recs and UNC hospitals. Uh, we've had, we've talked to physicians at Wake Med um, all over the state. Okay, is awesome. Like a, is there a special um, area that these physicians, uh, I guess, um, have expertise or like, um, or like specific types of clinics or uh, do students get to choose? Is there kind of a structure there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we don't, in the past, we haven't specified, you know, we're, we're only talking to cardiologists this year, but um, instead what we do is we have a couple of key points in different areas within the hospital. So we might um, link them up initially with people in cardiology or endoscopy um, and uh, neurology, for example. Um, and from there, our students are very proactive and excellent networkers, um, and they, they branch out from there. So um, we don't direct them into a specific area. They um, follow their interests, they follow the access, and they follow networks that they create. How long is this needs discovery portion of the program? And I guess I'm wondering too, like, is it an ever flowing thing where they keep that dialogue with the team they're working with, or is it kind of come to a conclusion at a certain point? Yeah. So the needs discovery is just the basis of, of defining a, a problem and having a statement and being able to understand what the problem really is and go from there. So although in my class, it takes 
my class is uh, the course I teach in the summer is will be 10 weeks long this summer. Um, and initially we'll spend, you know, at least three or four weeks just observing um, and collecting information. And then we continue that process. So we go out looking for all problems. Um, mm -hmm. And then over the course of the semester, we try to narrow, we start the process of narrowing it down. And at that point, we pass it off to Matt's course, the design and innovation. So what kind of um, methodology are you teaching students in terms of need discovery and then like vetting those needs down? Do you give them tools of like, I'd imagine there'd be tools of, of what kind of information to be looking for and then maybe tools to kind of um, evaluate the value of those problems. Um, is that part of what like you teach in terms of methodology or how does that go in the class in a more like formal education setting? Yeah, I think there's two parts, Allie. I think, um, you know, upfront, we're putting students into environments that they may or may not be familiar with. So we teach them um, how to, how to just be in the space, in the clinical space, um, what to look for, what to ask or what not to ask. Um, and so we work on their observational skill sets. We work on their interview skill sets. Um, we give them skills to uh, sort of dig deeper into problems and, you know, and really tools to frame problems in the appropriate way, because the first thing you see or observe might not be the actual problem. So we teach them to think critically um, and ask a lot of questions and then sort of triangulate data between this is what we hear, this is what we mm -hmm. see, and this is what's supported in the literature, this is what's in the market, and then we can compare and contrast all of those things and, um, and go from there. So that's up front on just you know, if you're not defining a good problem, it's not, then we're not going to be successful. And then moving on to, we define lots of problems. We'll define hundreds of problems in the first couple of weeks. Um, and then the process of down selecting the projects is, a, is different. And so at that point, you know, students will think about what are they interested in, but then we also have to look at what's the incidence of this particular problem or this particular disease state. Um, and then also, you know, what's the size of the market? What's on the, what's, um, what products are in the market right now to solve that problem and what are they doing and how are they doing it and why are they failing um, or succeeding in some ways? And then, you know, also looking at the health economic data um, because the other, you know, we're not, we're not just identifying problems and then designing solutions to them, but then this is also geared towards entrepreneurship and building a business off of that. And when you say health economic data, do you mean um, like reimbursement kind of information or? Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that they look at. Well, you know, in terms of reimbursement, yes. So, you know, we ask them to figure out like, how does the money flow through this system? So, you know, we look at, we can look at the patient's journey through this thing or the person who's receiving the treatment or the person who's using some kind of intervention or the physician's journey through this problem, but then also looking like, where does the money flow? How does, how do people get paid? How do people get reimbursed? Um, 
because that's the other important criteria as you move through Matt's class and Nick's class, if that's not addressed early on, then it's going to be very hard to um, create a business around it. Right. Yeah. Okay. One more question. Cause I know as we move on to Matt and Nick's class, mm -hmm. um, we get really into the, the weeds of the design. So yeah, they're the um, fun classes. <laughs> well, I, your, I do your marketing. Class is important though. <laughs> Mine's fun too, though. <laughs> I do marketing. So I'm most interested in your class. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so one more question, I guess, being the nature that the, you know, they, they're on a limited timeline. Um, hopefully this, this spins out into a startup. Um, do you think students tend towards solutions that are maybe lower class medical devices? Um, are we a little more hesitant to kind of pursue a class three solution or has that not really come up? I mean, certainly that's a really good question and consideration, Ali, because you know, if you think about the context of the courses and the series of courses, this is, this is a year, right? And it's fast and furious through this year. Um, and, you know, actually, I think looking at the projects that have come out just in this year, there's a spectrum to it. And there's some groups that definitely don't shy away from products that are, you know, very invasive with not a lot of predicate devices. Um, I don't know. I think, I think they run, they run the gamut. Yeah. That's good to know. Um, I said that was the last question, but I do have one more. What do you hope students take away from your class? Um, like into the future past the program? Oh, so many things. Um, I think that from, if I, if I think about the class that is needs discovery i think you know just i want them to go into situations with their eyes open and their minds naive in some way so that they can just absorb and reflect and really see what what is needed and and i think you know you know knowing that the problem solving process really starts with defining the problem appropriately we just want to give them the the tools to you know do those things and engage in critical and creative problem solving yeah very well said um awesome so at this point in the curriculum you've, you've kind of started figuring out problems you've kind of started figuring out the direction you want to go um you've figured out the needs uh and then we take it away to the to the next class so uh matt maybe you can um talk through what the next steps are yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Brian. And thanks, Kelly. Um, I, one of the things that I love working with uh, Kelly and, and Nick, especially, um, is that we all have very different perspectives and, and approaches. And I always learn something when I'm in a conversation uh, with, uh, with Kelly and Nick, and, and especially when we're observing students, they, they always uh, ask insightful questions that come from just, uh, for me, out of left field, but it's, it's really, really interesting. So I think we, we have a, a really uh, interesting dynamic because we're all, um, we all teach a little bit differently. We all uh, uh, interface a little bit differently. Um, but as far as like the, the students coming into design and innovation in the fall semester, um, Kelly sends them on their way with a needs uh, report. So every, every student has done some primary and secondary research uh, and summarized that in a, a very succinct uh, uh, report and also a presentation. 
Um, and it's, it's really one need to one student, right? So we've got a lot of needs that we then need to filter again and figure out what, um, what, which problems are we going to try to solve in the rest of your, of your time in the mm-hmm. medtech program. And so, uh, what we do in design and innovation uh, is really a multifaceted approach. We spend probably the first uh, four weeks uh, talking about uh, filtration strategies. So we look at things like um, uh, customer inclination, so size of market. Um, we look at uh, our, is is the, is this problem uh, in an area that customers are willing to to pay for? Um, mm-hmm. Kelly talked about the value uh, uh, based uh, decision making process and how the money flows, uh, but we also need to understand, um, you know, is there is the problem the need that we've identified in an area where people will pay for pay additional money or or uh, execute a transfer of value? I should say so. Um, where if we if we develop something that is valuable in this area, will people pay us for it? Mm-hmm. Um, we have to look at um, you know intellectual property. What technologies are out there that could be applied in these particular areas? Um, we look at the regulatory pathways. Um, we also uh, actually try to define strategic partners. So we, we need to understand like where is this going for you? Like, are you are you planning on um, taking a solution to market and actually trying to sell it at the market? Are you planning on uh, being bought out? Uh, like, what what is your exit strategy? And um, depending on that exit strategy. Uh, we might decide uh, to take a look at um, if it's to a strategic, for example, if you want to be acquired by a strategic, we want to make sure that that the need kind of fits their sales bag, so to speak, uh, and make sure that um, that it's something that they'd be willing to acquire and and take a look at how active they are in that space and what the kind of uh, size of the deal is and, and where the deal happens in the stage of a company um, so that you can kind of get a sense of like, how far do you need to take it before you're at uh, a position to be required. Um, and then that kind of plays into what are the resources required for, for each given project, which you touched on with the last question, like, do we see any class three devices? And I'd also say it, it, we see a spectrum, right? We, uh, this past cohort, we, we had uh, one student team decide to focus on something that they thought they could do in a year. And we had another student team who didn't shy away from a really big problem in neurology. And um, they, they've had to break the problem down into something that's, that's um, uh, to, into something that they could do within the, the cohort. But obviously this, um, uh, they plan on filing for, for additional grant money to, to kind of pursue that, that following graduation. So, um, but yeah, the, what, what stage do you need to get to, to reach the exit that you, that you're desired? Um, we need to do a resource analysis and figure out um, what, you know, what people, what money, um, what, uh, what partnerships do you need in order to, to reach that, that exit? Uh, milestone. Good question. So um, is your class the point where students pair up and how does that process work in terms of team formation? It is. And uh, we, we actually devote an entire class to talking about team storming. Um, oh, I because, love that. Yeah. Because uh, as you know, like um, it's, it's, it can be difficult when you're put together with a team and uh, especially a team of individuals who you don't have any prior experience with and you didn't uh, go through a hiring process. Like you're essentially <laughs> forming co-founders. So it's like, how do you pick your co-founder? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, we talk about um, uh, the importance of trust and how to build trust and how the importance of communication, uh, strategies for 
um, uh, conflict resolution strategies for keeping people accountable, um, you know, understanding uh, people's communication styles and, and the ways in which um, they prefer to communicate and also receive communication. So th that can be important and that um, understanding that can, can help you in, uh, in uh, conflict resolution if, if anything should come up downstream. Um, so we, we devote an entire class on uh, you know, team storming, we, we do some role play in terms of conflict great. resolution, which is great. Um, and then uh, ultimately we get to the point where we have to down select and this comes uh, around week four. Or so um, I, I like to, uh, I, I think I have the fun class as Kelly mentioned. And I, I think Kelly enjoys her class. I think Nick enjoys his class, but I really, really love my class. So <laughs> we we set up a brainstorm uh, to brainstorm on all the needs and we have the sort of round robin um, kind of uh, speed dating almost, uh, if you will, for, for the different uh, needs that, uh, that people have come up with uh, over the summer. And so we spend time uh, in thought with a variety, with different individuals who might also be interested in that need and trying to come up you know, with, uh, with a, a large quantity of potential solutions to that need. Um, so that kind of helps uh, foster some creativity. Uh, but once we get to that point, uh, we've, we've kind of done, um, you know, the brainstorming, we've done some work on team formation. We've also uh, done a little bit deeper dive into um, jobs to be done theory and outcome driven innovation and trying to gather some data in terms of uh, where the real pain points are and how acute they're felt uh, by the, the target population. And once we, we put all that data together, and we ask students to to form teams and so we don't dictate the size of or we don't dictate the team formation um, we do have caps on team size uh, mm -hmm. uh, say no more than four um, and you can do it by yourself if you'd like to and we had um, uh, this year we had two teams form that uh, that had only two people uh, which turned out to be really uh, great they did a phenomenal job this year um, and it's but it's a lot of work to do with with two people um, so I think um, you know, based on my experience thus far, I think two can do it. I think three is a pretty optimal number. Um, and uh, yeah, but we, we definitely have uh, have teams form uh, up to four. And uh, yeah, we see teams form around um, ideas. Like some people feel really passionate about a certain um, need or a certain area that, they, that they'd like to focus in. Um, and we also have people form around strong leaders, which is which has been interesting from a, Very. a, a psychology perspective. So that mm -hmm. that uh, um, we've seen that, and we've seen teams, um, uh, yeah, form around you know kind of market size, even like what, what's the what's the future potential for this uh, for this pro uh, problem as well. It's interesting to me that two of the three classes are really set and you don't even like start designing or you don't even get into a product, right? It's really like setting the foundation. You're doing the research stage. You're doing this planning stage, uh, forwarding teams. So it's, uh, it's really interesting. And it kind of makes sense that you spend so much time and resource into setting a good foundation, making sure you're going to attack the correct problem the correct way, even before you get into touching any part of an actual design. Yeah, I think you can see, and I've experienced this, right? Um, a, a lot of times you can get inertia in a specific direction um, and it becomes really difficult to, to stop and pivot or, or mm. uh, change directions after mm -hmm. that inertia really gets rolling. So I think it's really important to, to spend a lot of time on the problem and making sure that we, that we understand the fundamentals around that problem and really understand where, where can we um, deliver value 
um, because you'll find that markets are really crowded. Like there's a lot of products out there. Um, there's a lot of uh, people have thought of a lot of different ways to do things. Um, and you really have to spend a lot of time in that research phase to, to find the specific areas where you can add value, where it will be meaningful in a way that uh, people will pay you for that added value. Awesome. So as you transition now into the third course with, with uh, Nick and product development, um, I think it would be cool if you could round up and say like what the status of a team could be like, you know, are you getting into user needs at this point as you're getting ready or like, how do you yeah, transition absolutely. So oh, the, could I could I add one more thing on to that with the user needs? Do you have you also addressed technical feasibility? Okay, that's the only add-on I wanted to. Oh, absolutely. To, to that. Yeah. Thanks. So, um, so the the end of five hundred two, which is the design and innovation course, is at the end of the fall semester, um, and what we try to get to at that point is I like to call it a minimum awesome product, and to <laughs> me that's a a. a or a minimum awesome prototype. And a minimum awesome prototype is a, mm -hmm. a prototype that's, um, uh, that's so uh, effective at the, at the thing it's supposed to be doing. It, it performs so well that it, it elicits joy in your instructor, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we, we get to the point of, of feasibility uh, with at least one aspect of, of the solution. Uh, and it should be the most important aspect, like the, the thing that's going to, to drive the most value or the most risk, the riskiest item um, in, in the development. So we're really, we spend the remaining portion of the fall semester tackling risk and tackling value, and, and we do it iteratively. So we go through at least three iter iterations of prototypes. Um, we look at doing things like virtual prototypes uh, or um, simulations uh, and also physical prototypes. We have, we do breadboarding, we do um, user testing, we, we uh, draft the product and, uh, or, sorry, the user requirements and the product requirements. And so the, the idea is that we, we get to the end of the fall and we've done uh, as much de-risking uh, and feasibility work as humanly possible within you know, 15, 16 weeks of a semester. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, the students finally get a breather and then they, uh, they get to go on to 503. Is there a deliverable they have? Like, is there like a physical report or anything they have going into 503? Uh, yeah, so there's deliverables all along uh, 502. So um, we have, uh, I mentioned the user requirements and the product requirements. All, all throughout the program, we're, we're building um, up to a, a design history file. Great. And so um, you'll see uh, the, so the, the requirements portion comes in, in, the, in 502 and requirements aren't, uh, aren't settled <laughs> until you get to 503. And even then you, you're still learning new information um, and that happens in industry as well. So um, we, we want to get to the point where we finalize our requirements as soon as possible, but sometimes we learn new information that, that uh, forces us to change something. Um, the, the final deliverable for 502 is ultimately that minimum awesome prototype. Um, it is a, uh, proof, so some, some data uh, from, from testing. Uh, we, ideally, some of that testing is done with users. So we, do, we uh, take a look at formative uh, uh, usability studies and we, we wanna make sure that we uh, iteratively connect with users to help drive the, uh, the design forward. Um, and I like to tell students that it, uh, you wanna do that before you feel you're ready. <laughs> um, if, you, if you wait until you think you're ready, then you've waited too long to talk to a user. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to push yourself and you're never going to feel like it's ready uh, when you're when you're giving it to them, and that's the that's the type of feedback that you want. Mm -hmm. um, so, 
but yeah, it's um, it's a set of documentation. It's it's uh, some data that that talks about the performance. That could be performance on the bench. It could be performance in a user's hands, um, and it is some amount of documentation on the design. Cool. So now we've gone through needs discovery. Now we've gone through design and innovation, and then we kind of get to the end where it's a little more tangible. So um, kick it away for us, Nick. Yeah, so I really build off of, you know, Kelly and Matt. Uh, I like to think about it a little bit like a house. Uh, so Kelly is the, is the foundation. If you don't have a good problem, you don't have, you don't have much. Uh, you know, Matt's kind of the, the framing uh, of the house and getting something that, that works. Uh, and really my job, I think, of, is taking that, that prototype that Matt has and translating it into a product. Um, and so we're, we're advancing the design into something that's manufacturable, for the volumes that they're thinking about, uh, and also building the DHF that Matt talked about, so all the you know fun things and development and qualification and launch, uh, and really looking at it from a cross-functional point of view. So in my class, you know we go through design, manufacturing, testing, marketing, quality, regulatory, um, all those different things, um, and getting different perspectives. Right. So from an engineering standpoint, we really care a lot about what, what's in Matt's class. Does it work? Is it is it functional? It could be made out of, you know, 3D printing or carved out wood. It really doesn't matter as long as it it, it works there. Uh, and we want to take that and translate it to something that, you know, can be manufactured at high volume or of enough quality and just getting those different perspectives along the way. So we have guest lectures, you know, from marketing or from, you know, regulatory or, or uh, IP business development as well. So we talked a lot about mergers and acquisitions sales, marketing, you know, those type of folks to come in and give their perspective of what's happening along the development uh, timeline and what it really takes to launch a product because it really does take a, you know, a village or a big cross-functional team uh, with lots of different insights uh, to, to get something to market uh, and be successful. Yeah. So getting to market, you know, uh, <laughs> at a company, you know, it takes, it takes years. Yeah, I wish we could say that we're, we're we're launching products by the time graduation comes around, but really giving them, you know, the, the focus for me is really critical thinking skills mm -hmm. for the development uh, process. So knowing what goes into design, you know, verification and validation, knowing what goes into a product launch, knowing what marketing and manufacturing and supply chain and quality are looking for, so that hopefully when they go into industry, uh, either via their own path of a startup or they join, you know, an established startup or, or larger company, they have the language and are familiar and know who to go to and, and what, to, what perspectives uh, to look out for. So we, we really try to advance the product to, uh, to the design to a product type state uh, that has manufacturing in mind. Uh, and they may have done additional testing, you know, to build off of what uh, from Matt's class and gone back to users and gotten more feedback. Uh, but we really think we're, you know, we're talking about, you know, like I said, development, qualification, and launch. I'd say in reality, where we're getting the students is at the end of graduation, you're ready to like start a company with a really good prototype and a really good foundation. To then do a lot, you know, to, to hire, you know, a regulatory person, to hire a contract manufacturer, to hire, you know, a supplier to do something for you, and then begin that that journey, and really trying to give them, again, a holistic perspective of how long is this going to take and how much money is it going to take. People come in, 
like, oh, I should be able to, you know, at the end of Matt's class, they, they do an estimation. Um, we haven't done this yet, but at the end of my class, they do another estimation. And there's, usually those numbers are pretty far off yeah. when you take into <laughs> account all the testing that you've got to do, yep. you know, uh, development channels to establish, people to hire. Um, and so really trying to paint, uh, like I said, a holistic picture of what it takes. So I'd love to get to the point where we're launching devices in 11 months, but uh, we're, we're not quite there yet. I mean, but like, if you're launching in 11 months, like that's insane. That's like either <laughs> yeah. you're working like, <laughs> like 26 hours a day or something, you know, that just doesn't make sense. So actually that's a good point though. Like, I think from what I've been hearing this, this really sets someone up to be very uh, nuanced in this field. Like, like, you know, there's people who say like, oh, is master's program worth it? Um, why don't you just work and get work experience? But it's like, I've, I went the work experience route and I'm able to keep up with the kind of conversations you guys are talking about because I also did those phases in my companies that I've been at. And I can totally see how coming out of this program sets you up with the knowledge base as if you were in the field, right? And uh, even more so maybe in some more uh, specific ways because you have the first hand of like your own ideas and your team. So I totally see the value here. And it's just really interesting to me how well the three classes like go together and how how necessary that is in any case of a startup or a bigger company a bigger medical device company uh, maybe the ratios are different like timing but you know because bigger companies take a little longer time because of their very enhanced quality systems but you know it's the same concept so it's really cool to hear the relationships between these three you you said you bring in some speakers to talk about like basically like different, different, um, like functional departments. How do you find those? Are you paired with certain, um, companies or, or people in the industry? H how do you select those speakers to come in and how do the students kind of interact with the industry around them? Yeah. So I think what's unique about our program is that Kelly, Matt, and I have all worked in medical device for extended periods of time. So, uh, <laughs> We may not be the perfect academic uh, <laughs> a trio, uh, but but we are bringing in different perspectives. So our network, um, you know, and networking that we've done with different companies around the RTP area and even around the the country uh, to bring in those different different points of view from startups, from large companies, you know, and and pr provide different perspectives on different things. There, you know, with medical device, there's no one answer on how how to do things. Uh, and so, you know, it's not, uh, it's not totally theory in terms of, oh, if you do X, Y, and Z, it'll always, always work. Um, you know, like you said, sometimes uh, larger companies, you got to go through the whole alphabet and startups, you got to go through, you know, the first set of letters as fast as you can uh, there. So really just our connections and our experience in industry and, and people that we think will add value uh, to the students. And that enables them to network with these you know, uh, guest lectures, uh, again, in the area or around the country, maybe as BMEs, you're not as interested in design engineering, you want to do, you know, uh, we've had a lot of folks come in and uh, I have a guest lecture in usability, uh, as part of design D&D, and several have gravitated towards that as applying their skills and understanding that they've learned in the in the cohort, uh, and their background in, in BME or other engineering fields. Uh, to do usability type uh, work directly with users uh, there. So uh, just just our our networks in in general. 
Yeah, I'm going to add to that too and say that, um, that you know the North Carolina area is is a hotbed for medical device. It's kind of um, it's it's maybe a little bit unknown, um, but it's it's certainly growing. I mean, there's a there's a lot of different um, uh, medtech companies. Nix at one, um, you know, Beckton Dickinson's uh, got a presence here. We've got Teleflex. We've got a number of design consultancies um, that uh, I think all of us have have worked at in in one capacity or another in, in our our history. Um, so I think that uh, sometimes we're actually sought out. Like there there are people that are that are looking to give back and they um, they're, they're looking for ways to plug into academia and and they uh, they, they value that relationship so there's I'd, I'd say you know more than an, uh, a couple handful times a year I get I get sought out for uh, for people looking to mentor or people looking to uh, to come in and, and do a guest lecture um, because they're they're passionate about it yeah, it definitely is quite a hub, and I, I think it's becoming more more known for sure. But um, it is a strategic location, I would say, um, where this program is, in addition to everything else it provides students. Um, okay, so I want to zoom out and talk about kind of big outputs of the program from from the three big instructional pieces of it. But before I do, I just have like a couple fun questions. So, where do you think students struggle the most? Yeah, I think that's kind of the question. I think I would guess each each class has its own highs and lows. I would say for the needs discovery, sometimes it's really easy to feel really lost because we, in the middle, we're, we're sitting in a mountain of problems. <laughs> we just have just data, and it's overwhelming. And then it and it's you know it's a beautiful thing to see these um, problems get down selected and move on through the program. So I, lo I love seeing that, but I think, you know, talking to people and just asking questions, sometimes, you know, we're asking them to, to basically set themselves up for to do their own projects. And sometimes that can be exciting and scary all at the same time. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that Every course is probably drinking from a fire hose, as the saying goes, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and a lot of times, uh, and, and we all know this. I mean, we all, we've all worked in industry. The you can't do it alone. And um, I think that when you're when you're overwhelmed, you start to. Um, uh, you, you might get imposter imposter syndrome or or whatever, but it, but it's um it, it can be it, it could just be overwhelming. And um, the biggest challenge for us is is to try to uh, set people up with subject matter experts or, or introduce them to people who have kind of done it before um, uh, to help guide them um, and to, to make sure that uh, sure you, you you might not be a great um, skilled person at CAD or or at uh, PCB design or or at usability, but we know people in those areas. And, and here you can go talk to them. And if this is a skill that you're passionate about developing, then yeah, sure. Like let's, let's help you develop it, uh, develop in those areas. Um, but if this is, this is kind of a, a thing that you, a resource that you need in order to get to the next thing that you're passionate about, then let's figure out how to resolve that. Right. Yeah. I just, I'd say each at the end of each semester, uh, we're like the duck that's you know gliding across the water, but in the middle of it, it's the the, the feet below that are paddling like crazy, uh, and there's a bit of chaos in each uh, each semester. So I'm not I'm not sure who's the who's the hardest one. I think I can see, depending on the student, a different challenge in each of the different classes. So like even thinking to myself, I think I would have a hard time at needs discovery 
because the influx of information and the need and the problems and trying to find an idea. And I think once I got a little more tangible and, and into the engineering, it makes a little more sense to me. So I think it depends on the people, what class they find challenging. Yeah, certainly. I think just the, the comment on that, I mean, that like, uh, the three of us are uniquely positioned in the three areas. I think if you know, uh, I don't know what Matt would do if I if he was forced to talk about the DHF and building right. uh, documents all day. Right. Um, and I would definitely struggle to teach Kelly's class, uh, you know, differently. So we're kind of, I think you're right, Brian, that each of us is talented in our area to go, but if you mix and match, uh, and that's, you know, a good point with, with uh, BMEs in general is like, where along this giant spectrum of development do you do you fit right are you more in kind of the you know, hardcore design are you more in clinic upfront clinician work or you want to do testing there's a lot of different paths uh, that you can go on so i think that's really cool about this program that you physically personally are in each of these three scenarios and then you get to decipher yourself what you want to then specialize or what you like right so for me I personally have not done like the needs discovery at my companies, right? Because we have marketing, the researching people who come with ideas or, and they set it up. And I really spent a lot of time in more of like, maybe like Nick's class, right? With the product development. But let's say I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I want to do needs discovery. And I, and I get a job at, at marketing or something. And I find out that's not like, that's not really good for me. I'm kind of stuck there for some time, you know? Like, oh, I mean, it's not really great to just like, quit your role and, and move on to the next thing so anyways like this exposure in an organized fashion and getting your personalized input on all this I think is really valuable and it probably teaches you a lot about yourself and I wonder if that's I wonder if you guys see that in your students like the um, as the as the progression between the three classes you see maybe more interest pop up or um, um, as you keep up with the teams yeah, I think we certainly do. Um, it, I think the way I would liken it to is um, there's certain companies, I think BD is one that have leadership development programs mm -hmm. yeah. um, where you can spend a little bit of time in different uh, different groups within mm -hmm. an organization. And I think that this this program is probably pretty similar to that, although I think the you get um, a wider spectrum and you also get it almost in order uh, of the product development process, mm -hmm. which can make a lot of sense. Yeah. And then the other thing that I would just add to that is that we we introduce you to people who are experts in, in, in each of these areas and so you, if you're looking for a mentor uh in needs discovery then then we're going to introduce you to people who, who might be interested in that if you're looking for a mentor in regulatory like uh we're, we're definitely going to introduce you to people in that um and so not only will we get you exposure to it we'll also introduce you to people who are experts in those areas and if that's if that's a a growth opportunity or, or something you're passionate about and then you, you you not only get the exposure to to actually doing it the firsthand experience but you also can get this the secondhand experience and, and kind of the uh, the relationships that that can help you can help you further develop in the in the area that you're passionate about i had one more fun question which is um i imagine myself having a sort of like privately march madness bracket of like ideas and like which ones kind of like battle it out and get to the end. I mean, do you, when you're observing this, just given all the experience you have and the, the kind of high level view you have, do you start to kind of see maybe before the students, which ideas are going to get to the final stages and not, um, what's that like as an instructor, I would find that that 
kind of fun in my mind. <laughs> I, I think we certainly do. Um, and, uh, but I think you can look at it from a couple of different perspectives. I, I try to abstract myself, right? The, there's, um, I, I talked to Nick about this, the, um, what moves the needle for a BD is completely different than what moves the needle for uh, uh, 410 medical, right? Um, and so the, the size of problem um, can really matter uh, based on the size of company and what, and what you're looking for, and also the individuals. So some people are, are passion-driven. They, they have a personal experience in, uh, in something, like they were touched by cancer, or they had a, uh, somebody, a, a friend lose a leg. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, they're passionate about going after certain markets. And so I, I think we, I'm careful personally tr- to not to deter people away from solving problems for markets that aren't um, uh, inherently profitable. Mm. Um, but I think we can certainly look and see which of these needs uh, is the most likely to uh, to be invested in, like the, the most likely to interest VCs or angel investors based on market size and market dynamics, um, and, and most likely to be uh, uh, to have a good a good exit potential, um, but I, I still kind of fall back on. I, d- I don't want to steer people away from their um, from their personal p- uh, passion projects, and I view this this program as an opportunity to spend some time doing something that you're that you're passionate about in an area that um, it's okay to fail, right? It's okay to fail. It's okay to pivot. It's uh, it's not going to cost you your job. You're going to come out of here with a master's degree, and you're going to learn a ton. Um, and so I think that. Uh, uh, it's important to kind of foster that that creativity and and, and have that openness. Yeah, I think uh, like Matt said, try not to discourage. Um, there's definitely that uh, spider sense of uh, longevity in a device where you're like, this is concerning for me, or I would maybe <laughs> think about X, Y, or Z. Um, but really, you know, again, pushing that critical thinking and the things we've touched on. So when you know student groups come forward. All right, you've got a really big challenge in this area or this area or you know many areas, and so how are you going to you know attack attack those and solve them right? So um, try not to try not to discourage and use that, but leverage experience and say you may want to consider talking to you know these people because this is a problem they've solved or or look in this area you know and and really analyze why your solution is different. Uh, than something that may already be out there. Uh, if you've got concerns that you know <laughs> there's a giant product and they're trying to enter in, you know what is the differentiation there, and really try to have them focus on like Matt. So the things that are adding value, um, you know, even even students are like, what if we did this feature and this feature and this feature and this feature? And you're like, slow. The- Maybe you don't have to do all the features at once. Maybe you can focus on this one that's different and valuable uh, there. So uh, as engineers, again, we get really excited about design and stuff as much uh, in there as possible, uh, but really trying to uh, slow them down and focus them on on uh, on the project. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Nick. It, it, we don't try to sugarcoat anything, right? So if we if we know you're going to go after a market that's um, that isn't very big, we'll, we're going to tell you that, right? And 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 we're going to try to help you figure out how to make it. Uh, worth your while or, or uh, turn it into something that, that could be a sustainable business. Right. It's like guidance, but not imposing bias. So at mm-hmm. the same time, you don't want them to be just um, paddling around and, and not being fruitful, but then you don't want to bias them away from what they want to do too. Yep, exactly. 
So, so zooming out, what kind of alumni does the program create? I guess, um, what kind of roles do they go into? Uh, what kind of characteristics do they have? Um, or maybe what kind of companies do they go into? What have you seen from, you know, the historical side of the program? Uh, I'll take that one. Um, I think that uh, we've mentioned before that students are, uh, have varied interests and we, we kind of expose them to different areas on the product development cycle. And so it, it should come as no surprise that we have students that go into uh, a variety of different um, jobs post-graduation. Post um, I would also say that we, we typically see maybe three types of students come through the program. Um, and those might be um, uh, you know, undergrads who've recently graduated uh, from undergrad, and they're looking for a way to differentiate themselves from their peers, um, either in terms of knowledge or in terms of network. Um, so we, we see a fair amount of that. We also see individuals who are young professionals uh, or looking to change careers. We've had a couple of people come to us um, that are looking to make a jump uh, from, uh, from a current career into med tech. And then surprisingly, we've also had uh, either active or aspiring physicians uh, come through the program <laughs> to, to learn about uh, medical device development and how they can implement uh, kind of the techniques in their own practice and how they can uh, take their ideas and get them to market. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that's that been really interesting too. So it's, it's, it, again, it comes as no surprise that there's a variety of students that come in. There's a variety of jobs that come out. We see um, practicing physicians <laughs> come out. We see people that are that change jobs from, for example, from uh, an ER nurse to uh, a, a uh, healthcare insights researcher at a design at a design consultancy. Um, we have students go into uh, everything from quality engineering to uh, you know product development. Um, we've had them go uh, to small startups, uh, all the way to I think we've placed some at BD and Baxter, for example. So um, I think that uh, it's it's kind of. Uh, Make it what you want and leverage the network that we introduced to you to, to help uh, help find your next role. What about maybe a reflection on um, the program? Like, what do you what are your hopes for the future of it, and kind of how do you see it evolving? Yeah, I think we we want to you know we want to continue to maintain that contact with industry and and continue to add value. Uh, get feedback from our students on on what skills they brought to industry and what's been appreciated, you know, and close any gaps uh, that that may have come, uh, and continue to you know hopefully over the long term build an entrepreneurial community in medtech uh, in the area, uh, and take advantage of the resources that you know that Matt touched on uh, earlier. So continue to grow the program. Uh, we're we're not trying to get uh, to a gigantic state, uh, but maintain kind of that smaller community and build our community over time and our network and have students come back and, you know, talk about the program and what it was like when they went through uh, and to just continue to, again, you know, focus on solving problems and adding value to not only the area, but, you know, med tech in general. Our core mission is to develop the next generation of med tech innovators. 
And um, what that means for us is uh, like, how do we, how do we do that is what we've been talking about here, but how do we, how do we uh, determine whether or not we're doing that successfully? We, we have certain metrics that we, that we try to track. And so we look at um, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, uh, our, we, we're hoping to launch companies from this program, whether that's full-time companies or, um, or part-time companies where, where people are doing, working on their problem and uh, working on their solution in their garage, for example. Um, but we, we look at uh, companies formed annually we look at the the amount of investment that um that uh, uh, student companies are able to generate. Uh, we look at in, intellectual property filed, and then we also look at placement. So, I mean, we, we're uh, aware that a lot of students come to us looking for again um, uh, to differentiate themselves from their peers directly out of undergrad, or uh, to to uh, be able to change careers and get into med tech. And so, uh, we want to make sure that they're able to do that successfully. And so, we're we're definitely tracking whether or not our our program is helping them do that. Um, and yeah, so I think that we're we're doing pretty well on those fronts, but we we certainly want to improve in the future and really drive the uh, entrepreneurial community, especially in the local area, uh, and uh, try to uh, just continue to grow that um, that med tech uh, environment and uh, and ecosystem uh, in in Raleigh and and Chapel Hill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, thanks for being so transparent with um, what you're looking at in terms of success metrics. And also, I just think it's really great that you're giving, you know, prospective students the opportunity to really know you um, by doing this podcast, but also like the other things you're putting out into the ether for people to read and look at. So um, on, in that note, where can prospective students learn more? Um, where can they reach out to maybe you to ask questions? How can they apply for the program? Uh, what are all those sites and resources you want them to to look into and in making a decision to enter into the program? Uh, you can obviously find us, the three of us and uh, Dr. Zaharov on uh, LinkedIn, and you can connect with us individually there. We also have a uh, fresh uh, LinkedIn uh, company or program page that you can connect with us there. Um, we have a new website that'll be launching here shortly. Uh, that's medtech dot bme dot unc dot edu and uh, that'll have a wealth of information including resources for prospective students for alumni for uh, industry potential industry partners for people that are interested in mentoring and we'll have a little bit more information about past projects and upcoming up, upcoming events great well thank you all so much thank you very thank much you. for doing this had a thank blast you so much. thank you thanks and thanks for listening to the BME Grad Podcast. Make sure you follow us on LinkedIn, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow our Instagram page for shorts and updates. In terms of the podcast, please make sure to subscribe or follow and leave a rating or review. The BME Grad Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.